Welcome to Bible News Press. Our goal is to discuss biblical faith beyond cliches and buzzwords, whether such words are religious or political. Sometimes we sit around the table and fellowship. Sometimes we do a little time travel. It is all part of our journey with our Abba Father, who has given us the key to life. We do it with Jesus, and we do it together. Welcome. Hello, I'm Laura. I will be reading 2 Kings chapter 6 from the World English Bible. The sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See now, the place where we live and meet with you is too small for us. Please let us go to the Jordan, and each man take a beam from there, and let's make us a place there where we may live. He answered, Go. One said, Please be pleased to go with your servants. He answered, I will go. So he went with them. When they came to the Jordan, they cut down wood. But as one was cutting down a tree, the axe head fell into the water. Then he cried and said, Alas, my master, for it was borrowed. The man of God asked, Where did it fall? He showed him the place. He cut down a stick, threw it in there, and made the iron float. He said, Take it. So he put out his hand and took it. Now the king of Syria was at war against Israel, and he took counsel with his servants, saying, My camp will be in such and such a place. The man of God sent to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. The king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of, and he saved himself there, not once or twice. The king of Syria's heart was very troubled about this. He called his servants and said to them, Won't you show me which of us is for the king of Israel? One of his servants said, No, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. He said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and get him. He was told, Behold, he is in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses, chariots, and a great army there. They came by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God had risen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was around the city. His servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He answered, Don't be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Elisha prayed and said, Yahweh, please open his eyes that he may see. Yahweh opened the young man's eyes, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire around Elisha. When they came down to him, Elisha prayed to Yahweh and said, Please strike this people with blindness. He struck them with blindness according to Elisha's word. Elisha said to them, This is not the way, neither is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. He led them to Samaria. When they had come into Samaria, Elisha said, Yahweh, open these men's eyes, that they may see. Yahweh opened their eyes, and they saw, and behold, they were in the middle of Samaria. The king of Israel said to Elisha, when he saw them, My father, shall I strike them? Shall I strike them? He answered, You shall not strike them. Would you strike those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? 
set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. He prepared a great feast for them. When they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away and they went to their master. So the bands of Syria stopped raiding the land of Israel. After this, Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his army and went up and besieged Samaria. There was a great famine in Samaria. Behold, they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for eighty pieces of silver and the fourth part of a cob of dove's dung for five pieces of silver. As the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried to him, saying, Help, my lord, O king. He said, If Yahweh doesn't help you, where could I get help for you? From of the threshing floor or from the winepress? The king said to her, What is your problem? She answered, This woman said to me, Give your son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. And I said to her on the next day, Give your son that we may eat him. And she has hidden her son. When the king heard the words of the woman, he tore his clothes. Now he was passing by on the wall, and the people looked, and behold, he had sackcloth underneath on his body. Then he said, God do so to me, and more also, if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, stays on him today. But Elisha was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him. Then the king sent a man from before him, but before the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, Do you see how this son of a murderer has sent to take away my head? Behold, when the messenger comes, shut the door, and hold the door shut against him. Isn't the sound of his master's feet behind him? While he was still talking with them, behold, the messenger came down to him. Then he said, Behold, this evil is from Yahweh. Why should I wait for Yahweh any longer? That is the end of chapter 6. The incident with the axe head is not important in national terms or even in moral terms. It was an accident. It was going to be a fairly expensive accident. They're just trying to build a place big enough for them. They have a community of sorts that they haven't agreed to live in. And Elisha thinks it all sounds like a fine idea. It's just another example of a personal miracle, something to help one person in need, or he will be if he has to pay for the axe head. Verse 6 says he, Elisha, made it float. He has already been clearly identified as representing Yahweh. Yahweh approves of him, and Yahweh seems to give him some leeway in performing miracles. Why he used the stick seems to be along the lines of Moses using his rod or Elijah using his mantle. It shows that he is the approved representative of the miracle that happened, and the miracle happened through him. But then we move right back to the more national events. The last time a king of Israel was named was in chapter 3, the not-quite-so-bad next son of Ahab, Jehoram. Elisha spoke fairly harshly to him there when Moab rebelled. Here we see Elisha sending military intelligence. It comes across to me like another invitation to turn and to trust God, or several of them, since we have the understated not once or twice. So the king of Syria thinks there is a spy, but even one of his servants knows about Elisha, possibly recently from Naaman's healing. But instead of the king of Syria thinking, 
oh, there is a prophet of an amazing God that nothing is hidden from, and maybe I should find out more about him. He does something similar to King Herod's reaction in hearing that the Christ has been born. He hunts him down to kill him. You have to wonder if Elisha knew they were coming. He doesn't say so. It doesn't say so in the text. But Elisha does know and apparently sees God's fiery army. It's a realm beyond our normal everyday perception. Elisha's servant is not named here, but he's probably a new one because in chapter 5, verse 27, it says Gehazi went out of his presence and lepers were usually supposed to be isolated in Israel. So whoever this servant is now was very worried. And here he particularly requests that the servant's eyes be opened to this realm and God's mighty army. One thing I found myself wondering is how this compares to Daniel chapter 10, verses 12 to 13, where we read of a mighty angel getting help against the princes of the kingdom of Persia, which you know can't be human men because none could stand up for a second against such a being as is described. And then there's also Paul saying in Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 12, that we are warring against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. The way that Elisha words things, he says in verse 16, don't be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. So he's not saying that those with Elisha are more than the army they see, but those who are with Elisha are more than the spiritual forces that are with the Syrians. And for some reason, when the servant's eyes were opened, he doesn't even see these other forces. Either they have already been vanquished, which is a pretty good guess, or they somehow were so dark and nothing and smothered by God's army, which they will be sooner or later to a complete degree. But somehow or another, the servant's eyes didn't see them. But while Yahweh's faithful servants received sight into what was really going on, the ungodly invaders lose some of the sight they had. It seems to be spiritual blindness because they can follow Elisha. I wonder if this is where George Lucas got the idea for, this is not the droid you want in Star Wars. Elisha doesn't say he isn't who they are looking for, but he says this is not where they should be. In fact, he leads them to safety, away from battle and likely destruction. He is kind and encourages the king also to be kind, the king who is far too excited about killing them. The king of Syria is not here, and these people may have just been following orders, and they may include the one who acknowledged Elisha as Yahweh's prophet. Thus, for a while, sometime from verse 23 until the after a while in verse 24, the Syrians don't raid Israel, but then bloodlust returns to Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, and he does go for a full frontal attack, besieging the royal city of Samaria. The description of the famine that is caused by this is beyond extreme, leaving us without any doubt of its severity and a new level of human depravity and desperation. If you've read the Bible up to this point from Genesis and through the rest of the Law of Moses, then you know that this has come upon them because of their own wickedness. See Leviticus 26, 29 and Deuteronomy 28, 53 through 57. 
the passage in Deuteronomy, in fact, describes exactly what the king witnesses here. The king is rightly tormented by what he hears, but his solution is to decapitate Elisha. He either is so deluded that he thinks Elisha has such power in and of himself, or he is deluded in thinking he can somehow hamper God by killing his prophet, or he's just throwing a kingly tantrum, and king's tantrums tend to kill people. Apparently, Elisha has hung around in Samaria, and not only does he come across as unconcerned, but he's sitting around with the leaders of the city, the elders, to whom he proceeds to give directions, calling the king the son of a murderer. So much for polite diplomacy. In verse 33, the messenger shows up, but the king of Israel is already saying foolish things about not waiting on or serving Yahweh. And the situation will continue to be explained in chapter 7. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. That is the Bible News Press segment for today, but not the end of our journey. 